Do you ever feel like you don't fit into the climate movement because of your race or class? Are you curious about how you could make your creative practice more sustainable? In this episode of Crash Culture, we speak to Farah Ahmed, the climate justice lead at the charity Julie's Bicycle, and cover all of these questions and more. So welcome to Crash Culture. Uh, this is the Arts Emergency Youth Collectives podcast where we talk about equality and diversity within the creative industries. I'm Sarah, I love art and design and in this episode, as well as being joined by Farah, um, I am joined by a co-host, Mendy, who's studying media. She wasn't able to join me in recording this introduction as she's had some final year university deadlines, but she does join me in speaking with Farah. In the interview, some resources are mentioned and you can find links to them in the show notes. This is the third and final episode of Crash Culture Season 1. For now, there have been six girls, including Mendy and I, working on producing this podcast and it's been incredibly rewarding. A Season 2 may be coming, I can't confirm or deny that yet. Let's jump into the interview. Hi, Farah. Hi, uh, it's good to be here. If you could be a type of pudding, what pudding would you be? Hmm... I would probably be something that's um the hardest question of them all for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'd be a crumble. Like a rhubarb crumble, like a bit tart and a bit indulgent, but like warm and spicy and nourishing. Um but yeah, fruity and colourful. Oh, that is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> good with custard <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Julie's Bicycle I'm Farah Ahmed my pronouns are she they and Julie's Bicycle works with the arts and culture sector to do a lot of things firstly to you know to reduce carbon outputs to get everyone their buildings touring food operations their programs all reduce their carbon footprint we work with cultural and environmental policy makers, with people in governments or with people from arts councils all around the world to like create programs to support that. So over 800 um, organisations you know, get their regular funding from the Arts Council and then they have to report their carbon data to us every year and we create a report every year on that. Yeah, and then we like advocate for the sector. We talk to, well, whoever will listen, uh, about the importance of having a creative response to the climate crisis, connecting these two quite often separate spheres. Yeah, and then the thing, the stuff about race and climate is a lot of what I'm now the climate justice lead at Julie's Bicycle. So that's a lot of what I'm working on. And it's it's beyond race. Climate justice is really a whole broad movement that is about literally everything. I'm trying to talk more about things like how disability rights are impacted by climate crisis. Um, uh, and also talking about the history of the climate crisis. It's a history that began with colonial extraction. People from Europe going and colonising other countries and taking from them and and that still happens today, you know. Companies based in the global north, based in America or the UK, or were taking over land in other countries, using it to mine um, for, or to extract fossil fuels, or, you know, about what 
kinds of different knowledges we need to bring in. You know, not everyone will go to university, but also does university hold the right kind of knowledge? Like Indigenous people have got uh, their ways of doing things that have worked, that have that kept them through hundreds of thousands of years, right? And is scientific Western ways of approaching things always the most accessible? Is it always the best solution? So that's what I mean by like different kinds of knowledges. That's what climate justice is really looking at. It's looking at all of these different kinds of threads. There's something for everyone to to get angry about and to get involved in. Yeah, I, I remember in um the talk you gave Arts Emergency, it was really interesting to hear about, number one, who is causing most of the pollution and people who are suffering the most, people who aren't producing most of the carbon emissions. I thought that was a really interesting point as well. Yeah, it's a very like, classist issue as well. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mention colonialism um, because, you know what, I never really thought to think that's where everything is rooted in. Yeah, it links to class, it links to any way in which you're marginalised. On a bigger scale, it's the global south and the global north. And, you know, the global north is who produces all the emissions and the global south is who's feeling the impacts. But also within countries, so in the UK, waste incinerators cause a lot of toxicity in the environment, a lot of pollution in the environment, likely to be built in poorer areas. If you are black, you're far more likely to be living in areas with high air pollution and to be suffering the results of that. It's very ableist. Um, you know, if you're somebody who is queer, you're disproportionately more likely to be homeless. So then when we suffer like extreme weather patterns, you're disproportionately likely to be impacted by them. So there's lots and lots of ways that however you are marginalised, you are impacted. And the more, you know, intersections that you are at, the more that you will be impacted. This is also, again, like thinking back to why we have to stop this being a conversation that is dominated by middle class white men, (laughs) because ultimately they'll be fine longer than we will be. Yeah, and it's like, where do you even start? So how did you like get involved? Like, How did you know this is what I want to focus on? Um, it was a complete accident. Um, <laughs> I've always been like quite politically inclined. I was always, as a teenager, going to like stop the war protests. I think, you know, I've grown up in like a Muslim family. So after 9-11, it's really hard not to be somebody who is involved with politics when you see what is happening to your family. But I wasn't really like involved with the environment or with climate change. I didn't really see myself as like an environmentalist. I kind of I got this administrative job at Julie's Bicycle. I sort of sat there and I was like, oh, okay. I do know about climate change, just not in the way and not in the language that most people talk about climate change. I had been a vegetarian since I was 19 because unequal access to food was something that I saw on trips to visit my family, just something that that had always upset me. Um, And that's a climate crisis issue, you know? Um, It's a climate justice issue. I haven't had, like, grown up around nature, and that's, like, another environmental justice issue. It is about access to nature. I just realised that I'd been involved already for years, but in a very, very different way. 
um, and that sort of made me keen to keep going and to keep focusing on climate justice because what I wanted to do was to also open it out to other people who feel like they don't have a space in the climate movement or in the environmental movement. It can feel uh, very white, it can feel very middle class, it can feel very like you know, for people who can afford to buy organic, plastic-free stuff, and then, but that's not the conversation that we need to be having. We need to be talking about injustice and inequality and what it means for all the rest of us. That's quite interesting. You were, you were able to find a way that you had already been engaging with it naturally within your life. Yeah, you don't need to have studied something to be an expert in it when you when it's surrounding you every day mm-hmm. so when you when you said um you didn't have access to nature can you elaborate on what you meant by that i grew up in birmingham um you know there was a park down the road from my house it wasn't the safest place in the world but yeah i didn't you know we didn't spend our weekends in woodlands and things like that and it's and sometimes the british countryside doesn't feel very welcoming for black and brown people um, there are lots of statistics and lots of um, studies about all the ways that people of colour don't feel like they can access natural or nature spaces in the UK. And there's so many different reasons why. Also, the other thing is, is you know, my family are from farmland. They're from mountains. They're from, you know, villages that are surrounded and are part of nature. But they were displaced and they were, you know, brought to the UK. So, you know, there's a displacement of knowledge that means that I didn't have access to that as well growing up. Um, you know, it, it trickles down. My parents didn't know about the land of the UK. My grandparents didn't know about the land of the UK and they had to, you know, work in factories their whole lives. But yeah, I, I didn't grow up around that. I didn't see the sea until I was like 17, 18, and I didn't swim in it until I was like 23. And I remember it exactly because uh, it was my 23rd birthday. <laughs> it's it's the thing I find the most peace in now, but I just never had access to it before. I definitely feel you on that because um, I come from a Bengali household um, and I've lived in London my entire life. My dad was born here as well, so he's lived in London for his life as well. Because living here, I just, this is all I know. So I definitely like emphasize with you when you say going to like more countryside spaces in the UK it just does not feel welcoming like I'll always crack jokes with my friend like oh I'm gonna get racially abused here I'm gonna get shouted at I don't belong here but really there is a truth to it you don't feel like you belong in those type of spaces as well it's really negative because it makes you feel like you know issues with climate justice like how can I get involved when I don't even feel connected to these type of green spaces Mm, exactly exactly like you said like you don't feel empowered to participate in climate justice issues or environmental justice issues because what stake do you have in it but the truth is is that we have the biggest stake of all like you're young you're a person of colour, you know, you're from spaces that are going to be hardest hit. You should feel the most empowered to stand up and say, like, this is my issue and this is what we need to talk about. It feels really hard to do that. And I think it's also 
a lot to do with how we talk about climate change, right? And how we talk about where the power lies to change things. Because I think that we spent years and years talking about polar bears on ice caps. And polar bears and ice caps are very important, but how much does it mean to people's everyday lives? We are told it's all about your individual choices, right? You can buy your way out of the climate crisis if you stop using plastic packaging or if you get reusable cups. Whilst those things on an individual basis help on the grand scheme of things, I think it's a purposeful way of us ignoring who's at fault and who's affected. And I think all of those kinds of like stories around the climate crisis have been very deliberately um, missing that that wider point. Yeah, I think the way that we talk about climate change in the UK has been very much dominated by individuals. It's it's something that's happening over there somewhere else and I think that is like a consequence of it being talked about in very white spaces in very white ways in the UK in the in the US we keep talking about it like you know we need to do this for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren but my granddad is affected (laughs) you know um my my grandparents have been living for it my it's not something that's way in the distant future and I think that we don't hear enough from the global south about what is happening what has been happening and it makes it a lot easier to feel like it's something that's that's far away we need to be talking about it like the here and now like this isn't about your great-grandchildren this is about you Mm, mm. yeah because I mean it's our future as well it's not just theirs yeah you've talked about there's like there's so many issues that go into climate crisis it's not just one straightforward thing it's a bit question but what would you say are some like key steps to go forward and try and solve this issue Mm. on a global scale i think we need polluters to pay there's lots of lawsuits happening around the world at the moment directed at governments directed at like fossil fuel companies like they need to pay for the damage that they've done when places who are being hit hard by climate impacts are losing all their infrastructure oil companies should be paying for that but like beyond that uh, we should be thinking about um how we move forward in a community that is not extracting it's not taking from the earth more than it can replenish it's not taking from each other more than we can replenish one another yeah and think about our power structures we have to be able to like imagine different ways of being in order to achieve them quite often particularly in the uk you know you see someone with a a nice alternative to something and they get like completely torn apart by the newspapers like what do you mean we can't uh, you know that you want us to have free broadband for example uh this is outrageous this is stupid yada 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 but of course it's possible everything that we want is possible if there's a political and a communal will for it right if we are able to change our power structures then it is very possible and then individually Individually, I think it's always important that um, that you find the thing that you care about and 
you know, you don't have to start with the climate crisis. You know, you can find the thing that you care about and make those connections. So if it's school exclusions that you care about, that connects to, for example, the school to prison pipeline, it connects to racism, it connects to classism in this country. So there's a lot of ways that we connect that with climate change. If it's food banks that you're angry about, that's also connected to climate change. Find those things. You don't have to take on every single thing all at once. Yeah. And then like join the movement or start start a movement, <laughs> um, you know, around that and, and just, yeah, always stay connected. Um, I see so many people focused on like technology as a solution, but it's it's not accessible it's just kind of creating this shiny glossy everything's uh electric and fancy now shine over everything but also it ignores the way that disabled people need to use these it ignores the supply chains like what we need to do is not think that we can just sort of like change these individual things or replace something with a different technology you know like we can't have like individual single family electric cars just replacing cars one for one where are we getting all of the the minerals for all of this from you're getting them from from central africa you're getting them from southeast asia and and so it's not always a solution it's not asking us to change anything about how we actually live it doesn't change the fact that our roads are built for cars. Instead, we need to be thinking about reinvesting into public transport infrastructures and making them much better, making them much stronger. And, you know, when all the focus is on electric cars, public transport goes out the window, but that's the stuff that needs the focus, needs the investment. You know, we need to change how we live, how our houses are built, how how we think of what our communities are before we just like slap a technology over the top of it and go, we're done. <laughs> yeah, you've talked about before how young people can get involved and you've mentioned a few different things. So one was in joining a local community group and finding networks that relate to your interests. Um, another one was protesting. But you, you did mention that protesting you don't think is necessarily for everyone and how just having conversations with people, have positive conversations where people feel empowered by the conversations because you help them understand more about what's going on and what they can do can be another way of being an activist. I wanted to ask you, if we want to protest, how can we make sure that we're doing it in a safe way and how can we learn about our rights yeah, the Green and Black Cross. Green and Black Cross are the sort of the first people that I go to because they're lawyers, like, you know, they know the law around it, I think. Is um, that like a website? So, yes, they have a website. They have, uh, you know, they're on Twitter. They they are usually the people who, if you got arrested at a protest, are one of the sort of law firms that will represent you so always look online try and get a bust card and sometimes they hand those out at protests as well um a really well organized protest should have people around with those things and it will tell you you know don't talk to the police uh it'll tell you exactly what to do and it's important to always remember that at protests the police aren't there to protect you they're there to protect the interests of the state right so 
they might be friendly as individuals, but they're not there for you. Um, and, you know, don't be tricked into that. <laughs> yeah, like even recently, there's been that new bill that was introduced. Yeah, this new bill, um, the Police Crime and Sentencing Bill, includes a lot of restrictions on protesting. It's making it harder for people to to challenge the government. You know, protests aren't for everyone, but they are really important um, and they do work. And it's really, really important that we find ways to keep protesting um, because the next few years, the next few decades, as the climate crisis is like more and more urgent we're gonna see a lot more people try and hold on to the power that they have um because the world is really really changing and because it's there for the taking right and and we've got them worried we've got them on the run and this is why they're putting these harsher and harsher um bills through government um you know because alongside the police crime and sentencing bill there's also you know, changes to citizenship um, to make it easier to deport people, to make it easier to strip people of their citizenship. And what that means is very, very scary um, for for a lot of us. I read like 40% of people of colour in the UK will be impacted by that, something like that. I'm not sure of the exact statistic off the top of my head, but, you know, and that's that's huge. And that's really, really terrifying. So we have to go into protest in a way where it's safe, as, as safe as possible. And we have to also find other more creative ways of protesting. And I think that, that that's why art is important. And that's why like talking to your, your people and your communities is important because, you know, Governments get away with things because they feel like they've got a mandate to, they feel like they're allowed to. But we have to make it so that they're not allowed to because we won't let them. You know, there's a whole lot of people in this country who don't get that quite yet, who will still keep voting Tory, who will still keep, you know, who who won't understand the implications of this bill or of the climate crisis and feel like they don't care and we have to make it hit home to them as well. We have to get them to to understand the lack of humanity in all of those things. Um, because, you know, if we can if we can build power in the grassroots and we can build power in the community and we can build power through people, we can change how this thing how this how this all is working in this country, which is really really scary at the moment and it's okay to be scared as well we have to use that um we have to use that creatively we have to tell those stories we have to make it make sense to the people who are trying to get to yeah this sounds that makes a lot of sense <laughs> so i've heard you mention before that julie's bicycle produces resources for artists to help them are they available now yeah, you just go to the Julie's Bicycle website and go to the resource hub. Um, there's lots on there. Um, literally so many. I'm the person who's in charge of, uh, well, one of the people in charge of the website. So I know that there's 
a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's all free to access and it's all, you know, downloadable. So there's, if you're an artist who does a lot of traveling or touring work, you can look there if you want to reduce uh, your waste from your set design. There's resources on that and it's something for everyone. Awesome. I, I've got a question about an experiment you're involved with. Your bio says that you are on the sounding board for Arve, a site-specific experiment in collaborative work between artists, scientists and regional environmental experts in Switzerland. I'm particularly interested in this because I study computer science, but I'm also very artistic and I do a lot of artwork, so I'm always interested in how art and science can work together. So I was just curious about what, what you got up to. So it's an experiment in how we work collaboratively as artists, with scientists and with a local community. I think sometimes, you know, artists can go into a space and be like, I'm doing this artwork about you and uh, and they're not from that or they don't understand the, like what that community needs. It's, it's like a pilot project where there's a collective of environmental or ecological scientists, artists, and then local citizens. And they've spent a lot of time in the region. So this region is Arosa. It's like a, a ski region in Switzerland. And it's being really impacted by climate change. Most of the region's economy is built on tourism for skiing. And getting people out there is, you know, carbon intensive. Ski seasons are shorter because higher global temperatures. So the community is at risk of losing a lot if they don't find ways to adapt. Arve is kind of an experiment in, you know, different ways of adapting, of finding solutions or finding new things that community can be involved with, support their economies. So there are two commissions coming out of this. The collective spent like a lot of time in Arosa. They got to know the community. They've had dinners with, you know, people. They have like met the mayor. They've met Arosa's oldest citizen, like local salt makers and hoteliers. And the commissions are really about what local, what local ecologies can be brought into, into this uh, commissions as well. I don't know how much I can say about the commissions at this point. I'm working on what impact means for them. It's not just about sort of going into a space and saying, I've done this and 20 people showed up and, you know, and we've like made this much money or whatever. It's actually like, what's the impact that you want to have on a community? There's lots of questions that I like to encourage artists to make sure that they're asking of themselves, like, how am I accountable to the people who I'm talking to and for and alongside, you know? Why does it mean anything to the community? Um, who benefits, you know? Finding ways of like asking all of those other questions to make sure it's really holistic and that it really means something for the, the, the town, the, the citizens of Arosa. Um, and then also, you know, how do we take that to other places? How do we have this really like ground up collaborative um, approach that is like slow, that's like purpose driven instead of it being like, we've got some funding and we're going to come and do this two month project with you and then we're going to disappear again. Um, but like, I've got something on my CV and like you are just someone who I've 
taken all the knowledge from or I've put on my posters but haven't actually cared about what you have to say so it's yeah it's working very very differently wow yeah it sounds like you're helping people to be really thoughtful about their projects yeah it's a lot more personal it takes time and patience yeah I think that with both art and with the environment sometimes you know people want an easy quick fix or you know they've only got funding for a really short amount of time it's really difficult as an artist to have the time and the funding to to work in that really different kind of way I think it's something that needs fixing through our funding systems um I think it's something that needs fixing through our whole economy and not just in art not just in in environment stuff but also like in everything you know we need to not always be pressured into pro producing stuff or consuming stuff all the time like we need time to be rest to be still you know it's like good agriculture you know you leave your soil to be nourished again or you you know plant things that will nourish your other plants next to one another like we need to take those kinds of lessons from nature like sometimes things take a long time and it's because they're creating deep roots and that's what's strongest and that's what's healthiest and we need to take that approach forward into our work and our lives awesome i think yeah we've covered everything <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much yeah, it's been really interesting talking about everything and just seeing the different ways that we can all get involved, even when it feels so, like you said, ap apocalyptic. There's still a light, <laughs> as long as I think people keep having these open conversations and keep trying to work their way through it, there's always a certain amount of hope. <laughs> we have to have hope because, yeah, otherwise... Otherwise, what are we doing it for? Yeah, I mean, like, what else would we have if not hope? Mm. Yeah. If you want to hear more from Farah and Julie's Bicycle, Julie's Bicycle also produces a podcast, The Colour Green, where they talk to artists and activists about race and nature and power. And you can find a link to that in the show notes. This podcast was created by the Arts Emergencies Youth Collective with support from the University of Edinburgh. Special thanks goes to Dave O'Brien, Orion Brook, Farah Ahmed, of course, for being our guest, and David, who helped us set up our audio equipment. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time, maybe. Bye. <laughs>